everyone. Welcome to Player vs. Plot, the podcast where we take video game stories seriously. I am Lindsay, and with me is Sterling, uh, joining you guys as always. Um, today we've got a fun and slightly different topic um, than we normally discuss, and that would be... Frame narratives. This what? is Chris. <laughs> Chris with the answer. We really got to figure out this uh, intro. When do I say my name? I was about to. I was about to introduce the podcast. See, I like. I like taking it first because then I don't have to figure out when I say my name or anything creative and unique to say because I'm just saying the intro script. Neat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Chris. Frame narratives is what we're doing today, and. I think first we'll kind of take a look at what exactly that is. If you're not a nerd or a big like literature person, it may not be something you're as familiar with. And then we'll see how that applies to video games. It's a big storytelling style, I think. Yeah. So then why don't we jump in? What is a frame narrative? I mean, no pressure, but I'm waiting for a I'm textbook. I'm literally scratching my head. A textbook <laughs> definition here. Um, well, my non non-academic definition, which I feel like we've all learned what a frame narrative is in very strict and, and elegant terms, but I have forgotten that. It's okay. We don't have to be strict but nor elegant on this podcast. Generally speaking, a frame narrative is when a story has two narratives going at the same time and one is nested within the other, usually um, through the use of some kind of storytelling medium in the world of the fiction. So in your story, something that would normally tell a story like a book or a letter or someone talking to you tells a separate story inside of it. So a really easy example of that would be Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Which, man, I totally forgot that was even a part of this book, which tells yeah. you how little I, effort I put into reading it from my college class. It's debatable how effective this frame is because I know when I went to read it, I was very surprised that the the first few words are not you know the, i made frankenstein call me ishmael <laughs> it's not it's not like a scientist saying like oh i better bring someone back from the dead it's some sailor in the middle of nowhere writing a letter to his sister talking about some scientist he found interesting oh man and then the story I, it's that literally we, on my bookshelf and now i feel like i have to reread it could, could you book. imagine just getting that letter like, you know, you're just a sister and you're you're getting yeah. like a you're, forward. You're uh, a like, sister in a post-universal world <laughs> where you've seen Frankenstein. You're like, oh, no, don't get that guy. But yeah. So but then when you get to like the story that this traveler he met told him, you get to uh, the story you actually know of as Frankenstein. And mm -hmm. that is a frame story. And it's debatable what that frame story in Frankenstein is supposed to accomplish. This is so interesting. As a weird, just fun fact for everyone, Mary Shelley came up with that story on the fly. She was at like a, she was just hanging out at a party oh, yeah. with other famous writers. Yeah, they, they were had, like they a had, retreat. Yes. They had like, like writing, like, workshops almost yeah yes so this this is this is mary shelley having workshop and being like i guess i'll go knock this out in a week <laughs> and then coming back with frankenstein um but you know what i will say i do think there is something to the frame narrative in frankenstein but we'll get back to that okay to what the purpose of that might be i think another famous book example is house of leaves which oh, i know yeah. sterling loves yeah, it's a book inside of a book inside it's, of a book inside of a TV. Toilet or <laughs> notes on toilet paper 
about <laughs> a fictional movie, as in the movie doesn't really exist, right. or documentary yes. series, those notes on toilet paper then write fake academic articles about the movie, and then those notes are found by a person in the fiction who reads it and thinks, boy, this is scary, and he writes annotations journal. to those There's a notes. journal at some point, too, isn't well, it? Yeah. Is that yeah. a journal okay. about him editing the book. And then and you find it. No, no, then... He sends it before he goes crazy to some editors who then make additional edits. Yes. Oh my God, I forgot about and the then editors. They apparently, because that's where the actual story ends, but then maybe, you know, presumably Mike, what's his name? I don't Dan, know. Danielewski. Daniel's. Marksy Danielewski. Yeah, yeah, that, that's his name. Um, presumably he found these notes somewhere and decided he was the author of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that's a frame within a frame within a frame. It's like a Russian doll version of that. I can dig it. It's oh, like a dream yeah. within a dream within a dream within well, a dream. Well, Inception is another example of a framing narrative. Less classically, but it definitely has unique stories running through yes. each of the dreams. It is a frame narrative in the sense that the frames are a literal thing within yes. the world. Which usually they aren't, right? Yeah. Usually... Right. Frames are, if you read a frame narrative or watch a frame narrative, you, the reader, are supposed to read this as actually all of this is him telling me a story or or me reading the book. But in Inception, the you are actually being transported, in, like the characters are being transported into the frame like a right. Isekai story. Oh, okay. Right. So now, now that you guys have explained this, this makes me think of Final Fantasy X um, for the yeah. frame narrative because... Like the game starts off with Titus saying, listen to my story. This may be our last chance. So like pretty much everything up until you reach that point in the game again yeah. is him retelling the story. Yeah. And so it's, it's it's also notably um, the intro to the, like before you even press start, yeah. you just watch the game go. You will see your characters around this campfire about to go somewhere. You don't know who why they're together. You don't know why they're about to get to this building in the distance. And then um, it's kind of, I don't know if this is the proper name for it, but it's a partial frame where you go, you flash back, you see the story up to that point, and then you continue. So it's in medias res. Yes. So well, I, that moment is in medias res that leads into a flashback, which I think is fair to call a partial yes. frame narrative. Yes. Okay. So you think of things too, like other classic movies with examples, Princess Bride, where they're literally just reading a book and they have the two really different stories. Um, oh, Titanic. Titanic is kind of like a, there's an old lady you want to learn about her past. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is one of my favorites because it's so weird for its time. When's it from? Is that the one that I'm thinking of where they eat people or no? No, the yeah. guy, his grandson is the judge in the case we all learn about in law school where the sailors ate the other sailor. That's right. And they're like, I have never we'll learned do, about this case. We'll do well great. in court. And they get in front of the grandson my grandfather wrote a story about how you should never kill an innocent animal or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner um, is about is a fake book written by Samuel Coleridge. And the whole idea is that he found this book, which is an ancient text, and he annotated it. Like he wrote a glossary. He like there's fake words in the book that he wrote a glossary for. And then he wrote his own notes in the margins, and then he released it as though it were like a Found scholarly thing. like analysis of a fake of this book. And this is from like I think like the 1800s. Interesting. Yeah, so this old. is pretty advanced. On a much less advanced and much more recent note, 
that makes me think of Quidditch through the ages and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which I bought as a child. Well, see, this gets confusing because, because the movie wrote, is decidedly well, yes, not. The movie is right. nothing like the book, mm-hmm. but the books are the textbooks from the Harry Potter right. universe. But all of the characters have written notes in the margins that kind of carry another story. So just, it's a very loose cool. frame narrative. I say, those movies, I enjoyed watching them, but oh my gosh. You watched the second one too? I, N- no. I, okay. Oh. I watched the first one, but still. This is a different podcast. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie, but I have so many questions and complaints. Well, you should have read the book. It clears everything right up. Oh, clear. <laughs> I'm really waiting for Quidditch through the ages. I mean, if they really want to adapt the book, then like they should have the cast of Harry Potter do um, a, a audio commentary read, of yes. the movie as it's happening. That's amazing. Like, why do I have to watch this movie for school? So then plenty of examples <laughs> that are not video games, and yet Sterling's already come up with one video game example. I do think we briefly mentioned in Medias Res, and we'll circle back to that because that is a classic but the difference is the idea is i'd say it it can be a framing narrative if it's like the classic Mm -hmm. i bet you're wondering how i got into this how i met your mother yes there i am (laughs) the guy who's looking for a mother (laughs) you're probably wondering how i ended up in this wacky situation well let me tell you has to continue and be like a part of that Mm -hmm. there are definitely movies where no narrator interrupts and they pull you back from that point to the beginning as well. So I think our approach is going to be when we look at the video games that use it, thinking about how it can be used and then briefly talking through some examples. Our goal, as always, with these bigger kind of topic episodes is to not spoil anything. We'll do our best to not spoil any any endings, even though for some I really want to. I'll save that for their feature episode. So... We'll avoid spoilers. If we feel like we absolutely have to for some reason, we'll let you know. But I don't see that being a big issue. So for the most part, we're going to talk about the picture frame for a bunch of different video games. And, you know, why? What does a game gain from doing that? And maybe what unique advantages or disadvantages a video game has for using that literary technique that maybe a book or a movie does not have? Oh, for sure. Like, I think frame narrative is the most limited in movies. Because in a book, we talked about Hass of Leaves, where part of the framing narrative is that you are one of the frames and it knows that. I don't know if movies that use it do it as frequently it's as often, books do. Or, I mean, it has to be oral in a movie, right? right usually. Um, the, one of the most interesting examples I can think of is Atonement, which is a movie about a girl who does something. <laughs> I read the book. <laughs> and we started the movie. Oh, it's, I mean, it's an okay movie, but the technique it uses in a movie is interesting because it's like a very like classic romance movie being told to you in like letters, I guess, or as through a novel mm-hmm. from this little girl's perspective. And then you find out that these events are fictional and like this girl has a reason to be um, romanticizing. I'm assuming, I'm assuming our audience is less invested in spoilers for, <laughs> for atonement. atonement. Um, but essentially she harmed the people somehow in this, in this narrative. And she wants to atone for that by creating a fantasized version of their life. Yes. I don't remember how the movie did it, but it could be because I didn't finish um, the movie. It's just like a, um, voiceover. She's like, she's like narrating the story. Interesting. Yeah. And I think something interesting that having the frame narrative 
does for the story is that you now have a narrator, like an actual character in the story, generally speaking, that is narrating it for the example you gave, gave just now of Atonement. Also for, you know, things like Final Fantasy X, because I love that game and I'm going to keep bringing that one up. But you have the main character is the narrator. So the view that they have of the story is kind of their own. They are an unreliable narrator in a way. Yeah. So you get some twists and turns to the story that you might not otherwise get because they're telling it from their perspective and they might not have seen something coming where it's definitely a limited kind of narration or writing style. Well, you bring, but you kind of hit on wise. Yeah. And and you hit on one of the reasons you would want to do a frame narrative, regardless of whether it's a video game, which is it colors the lens that, through which you're watching these events unfold. I so think you it know can that, often like, make you automatically like that character more too. Mm-hmm. They are likable because they are talking to you. There's a level of fourth wall, you know, not breaking, but they're, you know, they're playing around with that fourth wall and all of a sudden they're talking to you and you're like, yeah, I like this guy. They talk to me. Right. And, and do you guys, so here's a question. When you guys see um, a movie or something like that, where there is a narrator and they're telling you, um, what's going on while you're seeing things happen on screen, do you, are you primed to think that they may be unreliable? Because I usually interpret it that way, but I don't know if everybody it does. It depends. I also think it's important to distinguish between a narration and a framing narrative. Mm-hmm. Because just having a narrator is not a framing narrative. Unless you actually... You know what? That's a good point. We should probably right. clarify that Like I would say for something to be a real frame narrative... At some point, the dramatic present, in other words, the, the the place where you're watching action happen, has to take place in that frame narrative. So if you're reading a book in past tense, you, that is not really a frame narrative in the way we understand it. Because even though if this first person narrator is telling you what happened uh, and it is like a... It is a conceit of the book that he is telling you a story. That's more just the format of the book and not like a narrative technique. There have to be two kind of separate stories happening. And the fact that one is nested within the other should change something about one of the stories. Right. I think. Mm, So, yeah. I I mean, I think that might touch on one of your favorite games then, Lindsay. What, What is that? Prince of Persia. Oh, don't worry. We'll get there. We're saving that. I got a whole list. We've created a whole list of like genres and categories. So if you, like me, are a big fan of Prince of Persia, buckle up because it's going to be nested deep within our own framed narrative. So I'll stray from what I think you'll talk about with Prince of Persia to start. And I'll talk about how something that I think video games are actually really good at compared to other mediums, which is creating a meta narrative. Mm-hmm. So like what the rhyme of the ancient mariner does is it it creates a nonlinear way to read this book because um, you could read the book just as the original text or you can read it and read notes line by line with it. It kind of invites you to look at it as something that you have a little bit of freedom with how you uh, consume it. Oh, God. Now I'm thinking about like scholarly texts that I read with notes at the bottom when I decide to, Oh, there's a footnote, stop and read it now. Or if I read the whole chapter and then go back and read the footnotes or if I, so there's some kind of reader involvement there in figuring out like, do I want to like check this author on these facts? Is this going to be part of my experience as looking through their sources? Okay. So with video games, you can do so much of that. So really, really good example, in my opinion, is the game Final Fantasy Tactics. Okay. Ooh, yeah. And by extension, the game before Tactics Ogre. 
But what's interesting about Final Fantasy Tactics is that the intro of the game shows you that this whole story is actually the contents of notes that have been disclosed by the church like many decades after the events actually happened. Oh, interesting. And this historian in the game, um, he is essentially like a conspiracy theorist who has his own like idea of what really happened in this like war. Oh my God, I love this. Which is the War of the Roses essentially in like fantasy world. It always is. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, here's who I think is the real hero of this story. His name is Ramza Beolv. Is that really his name? Yeah. What's that last name again? Beolv? Beolv? Beowulf. No, Beowulf is in the game. He's someone. Oh yeah, Beowulf is a is like a person. Oh I know gosh. what you're going for. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I think it's. I've never looked at the katakana. I don't know if you're right or wrong. I just find that name fascinating. Or it could be Beowulf or Bulv. I, I just always say like Beowulf. hearing that sound. <laughs> well, Ramza. He, he's his argument is that Ramza is a person that history has purposefully forgotten okay. and been erased. And he's like, I've collected all these like bits and pieces of all of these different notes released, like declassified essentially. And here's my theory for what really happened. And so you look through the, like after you like get that intro, you are 100% in like the, the inside of the frame narrative. Like mm. you're seeing everything from Ramza's perspective. Okay. But there is a menu option in the game called Brave Story, which is the name of like this tale. Okay. And if you open it up, you will see all of the historian's notes on every event that's happened that you've seen already. Do the every character. And this is the conspiracy theorist historian's yes. notes. So, so this sounds a lot like Forrest Gump to me right now. So it's kind of like <laughs> what you're seeing, but he's not there. This this right, historian right. is not in the story. Okay. Um but the historian essentially is like like what you're looking at in the game is a dramatization of all of these writings that he has. And you can go read those writings and when you when you look at like like for example Ramza meets with his father on his deathbed, right? Okay. And then you see it play out. If you're like I want to go see that scene again, you go back to the menu, you open it up. You're like Ramza, blah blah blah, his dad died on this day, blah blah blah. Okay. Let me go look at that event. Go to this event that you like cutscene that you've watched. You'll see a summary written by him, which has every major like plot beat in it. And then you can like push like triangle or something and it'll just replay the scene for you. So you think the scenes are literally just the scholar reimagining it's, it? It's like a reenactment or a, a dr- dramatiz- dramatiz- dramatization <laughs> uh-huh. of, uh, of like the scene itself in his mind. He's like, that's oh. what I interpret it as. You could so also how- read it as like the. The events you're seeing are reality, and the notes being written are, like, his frame narrative where he's trying to make sense of it. How do you think the game story—what do you take away from it that's different Mm -hmm. than what you would have had without that layer of the historian? Okay, yeah. So the plot of Final Fantasy Tactics, like, a big overarching theme is that the governments will say say and do things for one reason— but the actual reason they're doing it is to serve some ulterior motive that the public has no idea about. So you compare these two narratives to learn the motives of the church in the game. So you're saying it's like the winners write, the victors write the exactly. history, and you're trying to figure out what actually happened. Right. That so, is so fun. And so the other, so there's two elements to it. One is that the story is all about what's happening behind the scenes, what really happened versus like who's getting famous for what happened. Okay. Right? Um, the other part to Are it the is notes that, ever like passive aggressive? Like, uh, 
George gets credit for this event, but clearly well, Rama is the guy. Here's who did the thing. It. I think this guy loves Ramza. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think these notes are written. I would actually argue that, like, maybe it didn't even happen the way he's and saying. This right? is like if I write a biography on, like, Catherine the Great. No. Just like, I, she's the greatest. But, but you wow. know what? It is like what, like, Sterling just said about Forrest Gump, because it's like Ramza gets intertwined with every event <laughs> I, in I, history. I'm imagining this now, kind of like Forrest Gump, but also it's like this historian is Ramza's, like, grandkids kid or something he's like he's not telling anybody my grandpa was much more important than you think he could definitely beat up your grandpa yeah. that's amazing well you also find out that like i don't think this is like a major spoiler but one of the characters that ramza meets is like oh like no one believes you but i believe you and i'm gonna record what you're doing oh interesting and he writes all of this stuff and is the this church, like a fan insert character it's well <laughs> the church gets to this guy they they like confiscate his writings presumably they don't burn them because they're like this is actually really useful because now we know what <laughs> happened <laughs> and like we don't know what ramza they was just doing. burn the guy yeah they burn him and then his papers are hidden and it's when those papers come out that the historian is like oh i'm going to like re i'm gonna like interpret Interesting. this so it is a fan of ramza who like originally recorded these events as someone who had like he took a political side because he's on Ramza's. Interesting. Like, yeah. So he's like, you can't change the future, but you can change the past by how you interpret it. Maybe. And I mean, the whole point of the story is that the church controlled all politics in Europe. So the idea is that um, I, I think this historian, by releasing his interpretation, he is making a political move against the church in his time. He's saying. So he, it's kind of showing you what could happen to this historian. It's possible. Interesting. Oh, yeah. It could be that he's saying, I'm actually Darai. Or, like, I think I'm Darai in this. this yeah. Or, uh, you know, the Darai is the person who originally wrote those notes. Yeah. But, so, anyway. He sees himself in that historical figure. He's like, I'm at risk, too. Right. And, like, you know, there is that narrative element um, to it, which, you know, it, it changes how you read the events as they're happening. But I like that in a video game, it is actually serving a very important function, which is it is... Um, refreshing you on what happened. It's giving you context for all of these fa like political factions that you encounter and these people. It's like a full dossier on like everything you see in the game, which is generally a useful thing to have in a game. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if they started with the idea that like we need to have a record of everything you do because the story has so many different like layers to it and okay. so many moving parts. And then, like, if we're going to put all this work into it, maybe the story should be told that way, too. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is um, a source of frame narratives in a lot of games, which moving off of Final Fantasy Tactics, like... Yeah, because, I mean, it sounds like Final Fantasy Tactics is doing sim something similar to how previous books, or maybe like Rime of the Ancient Mariner did, where it's like, I found these notes, I'm right. interpreting it, and it's not going to be just all words like the Rime of Ancient Mariner. We're going to create, like, visualizations for you to experience it. Do you think there's other games out there that have different yes. styles of frame narrative that are... Of course, yeah. And I mean, all, well, I guess all I'm saying is that I think that there are a lot of frame narratives that technically exist in video games, mm -hmm. but it's because they serve an important purpose. Like, for example, if you play Dragon Quest and you load your game, you're actually reading the journal that you've been keeping mm -hmm. throughout the game. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. very minor example of a frame narrative, but it's an example of how this is kind of 
like ubiquitous in games for very practical reasons. Right. Do you guys know of any other games where you would say the frame narrative exists for a practical reason? Well, did we want to talk a little more about how frame narratives work to establish like a meta context? Like a, like, cause we started this one by, by talking about how it was linked to like, like genre. Oh yes. Like meta. And I think yeah. there are probably some others that use it as a, you know, a curtain. They're setting a stage for what you should take like away from it. Mario like Brothers Mario 3. Brothers. <laughs> or or uh, Catherine. Have you played Catherine? Yeah. Yes. Catherine's great. Because, like, how does Catherine open? It opens with a TV show. So it's kind of showing, pitching you the entire game as some sort of, like, schlocky horror yeah. TV yes. show. Like, like an anthology show. The retro. Like, like, uh, what's, what's the... Tales from the Crypt? Ta- yeah. What's yeah. The, like, what's the name of the woman that's on there? Um Catherine. No. With a C or with a K? Oh, no, no. I'm There's only about, one like, right the answer. Woman, like, mm, as oh, Velmira or whatever. Yeah. What's oh, her name? yes. Elmira? Velmira? Yes, Elmira, the lady who had like wore like the goth clothes. Somewhere my of. sister is listening to this episode and yelling. Elvira. <laughs> Isn't it Elvira? Uh, she looked like a vampire. She, she yes. had like a horror show and or something. And she would like intro. Elvira, good. She would intro these little vignettes, right? Of, yeah. of horror, campy horror specifically though. And Catherine leans into that idea of camp and over the top right. kind of dramatic feeling. So, do you, how do you do? You like, do you feel differently about Catherine seeing that intro versus when you actually yes. play the game? Right. I mean, like if you didn't have it and you, I think it's game. important to set the mood and like the tone of the game because if I didn't have it, I don't know what I would want, what the game would want you me know, to feel. I, the ending would read very differently. Well, if oh, you didn't have that no intro, spoilers though. For right, sure. I won't spoil it. But I know that when I went into the game, and full disclosure, I, I haven't finished it yet. So when I went into the game, the whole premise is maybe he like he's maybe he's gonna cheat on one Catherine with another Catherine and he has nightmares about it. And I'm not instantly on board playing as someone who is cheating. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the things it deals with are heavy, terrible things, but right at the beginning, the game is letting you know, okay. It's just a campy TV show. Everything's over the top. Don't take it too seriously. So I, I, it used, I used that frame narrative to contextualize it as, okay, everything's dialed up to 11. So that means the characters are going to be a little right. extra. The events are extra. Don't take anything too seriously or too literally the way you might. Any gratuitous nudity you see is par for the course. Or, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Yes, yes. Or... If the punishment is over the top or if people are being terrible to each other, it's a campy TV show. Yes. It you know, helps it, the main character stay likable, I think. I feel like it affects what you read as the the authorial voice, maybe. Like if yes. you say like, this is this is how a Tales from the Crypt episode would end. That's very different from saying like, this is what I think is a fitting punishment for this character. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yep. Any others that you think kind of establish genre from afar? Uh, a lot of minor examples, yeah. like uh, Final Fantasy One. The okay. intro tells you this is a myth of four heroes of light, so you know that like the events of the game are mythical. Okay, like, they're going to be. They're not. It's you're not going to focus on like, did the heroes have enough rations to make it to the place or whatever. It's going to be like very high level romantic okay um, um stories smash brothers super smash brothers melee um yes that was the one i wanted to talk about too yeah i mean the opening scene is really like with a before you hit start or anything that's really where it does most of the framing where you, you see you see the figure of mario turn into real mario yeah. they're all explicitly 
toys and you can collect the toys and the figures and the boss is a hand, like there are hands. So on one level, it's saying, yeah, it's just like you playing with your toys. How you like the only because think of I think I get so excited because this is really clever because the only time you really get your characters from different like like movies or games to interact is when you're just doing it in your head. Right. Like exactly. Link is never fighting Mario. But as a kid and as an adult, you can't help but be like, but who would win? And you'd take your toys and be like, oh, blah, they're fighting. <laughs> I love the idea that a kid is like, who would win? And I will decide that now based on how I play with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also other parts of the game that kind of lend itself to that frame story is you get coins as you play and you put those coins into like almost a gotcha pun, like yeah. a little like vending oh. machine to earn yeah. more trophies. And the trophies are just more figurines. So what you're getting... Yeah. I, I forgot about that, but you're right. Yeah, so the game is essentially telling you, you're playing with toys, we're just kind of doing the imagining for you. And you know, that's like a re- that is kind of a reimagination for Melee because that's when they made trophies a thing, if I remember correctly. Yep. Because in the original Smash Brothers, it was even more direct about that because the intro was the hand opening a toy box and there's dolls in it, which are like, you know, dolls are explicitly for playing and not just collecting. Yes. So you definitely read it as you. And and they've moved away from that completely. There's no trophies in the new. Well, and that narrative. Well, they kind of have it. You have like the the stand and then you put the stickers on the bottom of the stand. That's in Brawl. Oh. Yeah, the, they don't have trophies at all in Ultimate, unfortunately. That's right. Not only that, but they don't have any... Like, the new frame narrative is... Well, I guess it's just the narrative. They don't have a frame narrative anymore. The new narrative is everyone is real and their universe And they're being invited. Yeah. And Kirby has to save them from What's the darkness. That's, in, that's also Brawl. Yeah. That's in... Is Brawl's the latest? What's the no, latest Ultimate. Ultimate. Ultimate has that. You, um, on the Switch, you play as oh, Kirby. Oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. you're right. Because they have the whole cut Kirby scene does at the beginning. have to save everybody. I know because I'm a Kirby main, so I pay a lot of attention to things that happen to Kirby in Smash Brothers. Um, you know, another th- like really cool thing about what that does is I think it primes you to understand how you play the game. So Smash Brothers, obviously, has a ton of different customization options. You can change all of the rules for match you have complete control over how you consume this game. There's no right way to play Smash Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And appropriately, like, well, people... I've found a lot of wrong ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, people on the True. internet, like, <laughs> have, will show you their custom rule sets. Like, the competitive community will have its own rule set. Yeah. And then, like, you know, I have a rule set named uh, after my wife that we select when we want to play it her <laughs> way. Um, and I think that by framing it as a kid playing with toys, where there is no set you know, standard for how does one play with toys, that kind of primes you to think this, the world is my oyster in Smash Brothers. And I should figure out the way um, that makes me have the most fun instead of figuring out like what is tournament standard if that's not what I'm interested yeah. in. Or, or even like what does the author want me to do? And a lot of games, they're all about guiding you to what the author wants you to do because that's, you know, what the game is balanced around. Yes. So using that frame kind of gives you a unique way to experience uh, Smash Brothers that I think maybe it needs to give you to like fully appreciate like how much you can do with it. Yeah, I like it. So I think another thing we wanted to talk about with frame narratives is how it can kind of let a character reevaluate their own experience. Like it's their story within their story and maybe that reflection changes something. I, the, the game that 
we have to to talk about with this is one that I am uh, rather famously halfway through and have made no progress in. More like a quarter is it Final of the- Fantasy X. Yeah. Final Fantasy X. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to be sitting in those lightning fields forever, refusing to continue. Oh Do you gosh. think that th- that's Final Fantasy X is a rough example for me because I love the imagery that's happening, like where you're theoretically you're outside of the final boss room. And- okay. Yeah. Why don't you? What, someone other than me. Uh-huh. What is the frame narrative there? So, I mean, I think we touched on it earlier, and as Chris just said, the game starts, and the start screen starts the same way, which is you and your party are sitting outside of, like, a deserted, dilapidated, destroyed city. Mm-hmm. And the main character walks o- up to, like, a ridge, looks over, and says, listen to my story. This may be the last chance we get. And then it flashes back to him being, like, a super star. Like, he's LeBron Let's James. He's, he's, he's LeBron James. And all of a sudden... I like LeBron James a lot better than I like Titus. Oh, gosh. <laughs> he's, he's, like, the best at his sport. And all of a sudden, uh, he gets sucked into a separate world and is, like the best athlete there ever was and is in a completely like fantasy world now. And he's like, but Blitz boss still exists. Well, okay. I have so many questions. You about know what? Blitz That's boss. a very good point. <laughs> it's like, Oh, good thing. There's still basketball here. And, uh, no, era. They, you know what? Without spoiling anything, there is a reason why okay. it is. There is. A- I, I like the game lets you know that there's some sort of connection I didn't think it was an alternate like, universe. It's, it's I thought not, it was like the past. Or it's something. not on the level the of LeBron James. I don't know entering like like Space Jam to Looney Tunes. Okay, or whatever. Okay, it's not that. Okay, but Can't it is still movie. like an isekai because of like the time difference. Okay, so he's telling he's like, listen to my story. But do you catch up with that moment? Yes, you do. And and one of the things that I love about it is that it's all told from his perspective. Yeah, um, I think that's what it gets the most out of is the the fact that like most games aren't told in first person. Right. I almost wonder if the whole reason that you start in Medias Res there is so the game can prime you to accept that a narrator is talking to you mm. when that's not usually a thing in games as much as it might be in movies and books. So but, can you say? What what that frame narrative changes about the game without spoiling anything? Uh, expectations. I mean, so this, I, I don't yeah. want to, like, I can't say well, anything without spoiling it. We anything. are going to have this a whole episode on this game. I don't, I don't know how much it gets out of it because let, let, let me give you two examples where I think they get a lot out of it, okay. right? Where you use dramatic irony or you use like self-reflection, okay? Like if you watch My Hero Academia. And right? I do. And you start, you watch the first episode, this kid doesn't have superpowers. He's like one of the only people who doesn't. And his mom, there's like an emotional scene where his mom tells him like, you will never be a hero. I'm sorry. I have to tell you that as your mother. Right. But then the intro is like, this is the story of how I became the number one hero. And you're like, the fuck? How is that possible? Yeah. And like that changes a lot. It means that every time you see the main character, Midoriya, go through all of this, all of this like tribulation. Files, where he, yeah. yeah. Where he's like, am I really going to make it? And, you know, it's not like that out of there to think that like he may never become the number one hero. Like there's a lot of superhero manga stories. It could go any number of ways. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're telling you this so that I think to keep the tone light and make you feel like everything that's happening is going to take him to his destiny. Well, like you're safe to root for him. Yeah. And, okay. And also, I mean, like for Titus in Final Fantasy X, like I think the frame narrative of him like telling you the story and him narrating also does create like a lot like of... Like you know you'll make it. You'll know you'll make it. But it also sets up a lot of dramatic irony. Like 
in the past, but also in the future, I think as well. So do you think that the Titus at that point, okay, I'm thinking the best way to say this. I am seeing the game for the first time, right? I'm seeing the story for the first time. Do you learn things later in the game that change how you interpret or read things? So, And is Titus telling the story? Yes. He would think about it differently (laughs) than I would seeing it the first time. My argument is no. Oh my gosh, we have to save. We'll do this argument in depth in our Final Fantasy X episode, but give me what you got now. To say it in non-spoilery terms, the one real decision that any of the characters make... And, you know, the characters make interesting decisions, but I mean, in terms of, like, changing where the plot is headed, that decision happens directly, before, either right before or right after they're at that campfire. It's right after. Right after they're at the campfire. So at the point that you're watching in the future where you begin the game, um, you're watching them do exactly the thing that they say they're going to do at the beginning of the game, which is go on this pilgrimage. Right. So that moment is at the end is at the very end of their pilgrimage, right before they make a major decision that changes, like, the whole story. So you're kind of learning how he feels about the events. Because it's in a frame narrative? Okay, I'll say this. He does does talk about how he feels. Okay. And so I would argue the whole existence of the frame narrative is to justify Titus talking to you in first person. Or second person. And I, I honestly think it is important because he is going through this being like, this is my story. Listen to my story. I am telling you everything that I feel. And the game isn't even about him. Good, because I don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some issues with how a few decisions and, are made in well, this game i think it, i think problem i think, I think that the fact that, that he's the one narrating it yeah and like the whole culmination of this story is just so interesting i you, think that there's a lot to unpack here yeah, yeah and this may we may need to save this for the final well, fantasy you know, 10 episode here's, here's something we can talk about in the context of frame narrative because okay. this would absolutely be a total like left turn if we talked about this in the in the 10 episode Does the fact that Titus is telling you what happened, presumably all of the the things that you're doing in the game is him telling you his story, does that change the the interactivity element to have him like sponsoring it? So to break that down, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You're playing, you're playing like, uh, I'm trying to think of a game you guys have played. You're playing The Last of Us. Oh, okay. Yes. And you are Joel. And everyone's like, Joel, come on, we got to go. We got to go. But like, you know, mechanically, they're not forcing you to go into the window or whatever. Right. right? And you're Joel and you're like, I'm going to go look out the window for 10 minutes. (laughs) Right. I think we can all agree that like it's easy enough for the average person to find the contours of like the authorial voice and say, Mm -hmm. this is not this is probably not most people's experience with the game and so this is my narrative with the game that i was joel and i love just taking pictures and looking looking out windows windows, right but if we were talking about like what is this game trying to accomplish i probably wouldn't include that in there like i wouldn't include that as joel's retelling of this moment if i if he were real and were to tell me right so how does that apply to this one so that's like an ab, like an, an what, what's the word I'm looking for? like an aberration almost. Okay, right? so is but like it, all of the side quests that you go on, yeah. like finding the celestial items to. So yeah, to me now, if Titus is telling you the story and you go play Blitzball, which I think is a stronger, is more central to the mechanics and like what the game wants you to do than looking out a window or whatever. Do you think 
that Titus is actually telling you, no, I spent hours playing Blitzball. It's no, like, I oh, think we that... went to fight Sin, and but before we actually went in and fought Sin, as he was like, impending doom was crushing down on the country, I played an entire two seasons of Blitzball. I think, okay. like, that's yeah, I think I that's also, just for you. I also okay. think. Like when you guys, when you tell a story, when you tell someone about your day, you may think through it all yeah, and like the mundane details too, but not tell someone else all of that. Oh, so I don't mean that Titus, I guess let me rephrase that. I'm not saying, are you thinking Titus is telling you this? Like, and then I went and, and okay. organized my inventory. I, I'm, at, I'm wondering if this makes it more real that Titus did it. And you didn't just I see. make tea. You, you like it's giving a stamp of approval because he is saying, "Yeah, here's what I did," and then you just do it, right? And he's agreeing. Because like, if I play a game, if I played The Last of Us, right? I'm just picking this because it seems like most people have played this game, right? I feel like even though you I could hadn't just say the theoretically, game. if you had done this with Final Fantasy X, um, it's just as meaningful. But I don't want to use Final Fantasy X because I think that's different in okay. a sense, right? Okay. But if I'm playing Super Mario World okay. or a game. Without a timer. Okay. And I just do something weird that no one would ever do. I don't look at that as characterizing Mario. It's just you using Mario. Exactly. Because okay. there are, there are, I think that you can kind of figure out, like, what is the game trying to read um, the character as doing? So you're saying it gives it more authenticity to your experience, maybe? I, I think maybe it uses more of that to characterize who you're playing as. Because if I, if I. This I'm is so hard for me because like, I don't like Titus. <laughs> So I just want to get through that game. Oh, you know, okay. Like, like, let's say you're playing Mass Effect or something. I do love Mass Effect. And you have your three or four dialogue options. Yes. I feel like the game is arguing that your character could go in any of those directions, right? Yeah. Most of the time, though, you're not locked out Or, you know, a better example is The Witcher 3. Because you have dialogue options. Okay. You know what? This is the example I should have started with. The Witcher 3, you're you're Geralt. Mm -hmm. Geralt? Geralt. Geralt. Geralt, um, who is a set character. But he, there's you a lot your, of, You choose your flavor of Geralt. You choose your flavor of Geralt because all of these things could be Geralt. I see. It's almost like th- this, like like these, like little like ions firing differently in his brain. That like you could go one of two. Depends routes. on his mood. Yeah. Right. Like, like he had a bad day. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's going to be a jerk. Exactly. So, so they're all feels similar to Final Fantasy. Then no. no. I'm saying that if I were so, playing that game, I would know. Any of those options characterize him. Yes. Right. But me just standing around doing absolutely nothing does not necessarily characterize. I see. I see. I think playing Gwent definitely characterizes him. <laughs> no, so, that's another good example. So you're saying, right? so I get it. I get it. So you're saying that like in The Witcher 3, whatever you do is Geralt and would always be 100% Geralt because that's how the story is written. Well, I'm but saying. In Final Fantasy X. Well, it's the like, opposite. Opposite. is Which is that in The Witcher 3, there are moments where you think, I'm definitely being Geralt. Yeah. And there are moments where you're like, Geralt probably wouldn't do this, but this is a video game and I can make him do it. I don't think that the frame uh, narrative is strong enough in Final Fantasy X for me to feel differently in that game. But do you think it could be? Like, do you no. think that a frame narrative in any game, could make it feel like the things that you're doing are more descriptive of that character because it is part of their telling of the story. No. In fact, I think having a frame narrative makes it less true. Uh-huh. Like, if you give me an open-ended, story-based kind of game, like like Dragon Age or something, where I'm forming my own character and there's yeah. no frame narrative, and I choose to just, like, kick it in the hinterlands for 10, 20 hours, I'm like, this is just my character. 
Yeah, yeah. They do Your this. character is doing that. But I'm talking about in Final Fantasy character. X. I think it's less true because he's telling a story, and I'm just like running around a beach. I'm like, ha, suck it, Titus. You don't control the narrative. So you're, I do. Okay, so you're still seeing it as rebellion. Yeah. in a certain way. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Yes, we hmm. spent. A lot of time on Final Fantasy X here, in spite of my best efforts. I think that's a greater, to me, it's a greater <laughs> question because I feel like there is a level of sponsorship over what you do in a game sometimes. Okay. Like of, of like the narrative voice, right? Or the real voice. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if maybe a frame narrative can ever affect. I, I, I think the frame narrative reduces that for me. Okay. When they, like the more someone tries to be like, no, I made this character and they would totally do what you want to do. I'm like, okay, you don't know me. So that's okay. So that's a really good point because you're saying the stronger, like the frame narrative by having this narration and saying like, this is what I did. If you don't do that, that is more clearly counter to like, I would like to, yeah. And I would like to put a pin in, in dragon age two. We'll come back to this concept. Cause I think dragon age two is an example of a game that wants you to make your own character but they have a very strict framing narrative. <laughs> that pissed me off about Knight, uh, Knights of the Old Republic too. But let's talk. Yes. Okay. I, we don't. I don't want to put too many pins. Like, why don't you That's tell fair. us okay. what's interesting about Dragon Age 2's uh, frame narrative? So, Dragon Age Two starts, and you are just the ultimate badass. You have any move you could possibly unlock in the game for your class, and it's, you know, it, this game has ebbed and flowed in the eyes of the Dragon Age fan base. And I have always been on the side of not particularly liking it. People are apparently coming back around on it. I am not one of them. So that's that's my People camp. coming back around on the prequels. <laughs> yes. They yes. were actually amazing movies. No, yeah. they weren't. So <laughs> Dragon Age 2 starts with you have cool legendary weapons and all of the buttons. And you're just mashing buttons because you have all the powers and you're amazing. And it kind of serves as a tutorial. But you're like, okay, I guess I'm the best I can ever be. That's interesting. Well, it cuts to a character named Varric, who is a dwarf, and he is being interrogated by a different character named Cassandra, who is amazing. And Cassandra's like, I need to know all about the protagonist. And Varric's like, I'll tell you. And he had been telling... Is he like in jail? It's the Inquisition, basically. So he has been... He's just being interrogated in an undisclosed location. So the audience is not supposed to know no. why he's being interrogated. And this is your first, this is the first time you see both of these characters. I don't think Varric was in any of the, any of Origins stuff. So you kind of just see these random characters and it is clear that Varric has been telling this story and Cassandra interrupts him and is like, dude, I know that's not how it went down. Like, I, I obviously know the hero of Ferelden was not God tier at this moment. Now, at this point, have you been playing the game when she interrupts him? Yes. Or is this all just dialogue? Yes. I think you start just like, you don't know that he's being interrogated until she interrupts him. Until after you get to play. It's been a while since I've played it for obvious reasons. It's not one I revisit a lot. So you you play at this god tier and then she interrupts him and then you understand, oh, he is telling this story and the game plays on that a little bit because it wants you to understand that things that are happening may be elaborated on. Like he may be an unreliable narrator. So again, just because I, you know, yeah. most people listening to this probably haven't played Dragon Age 2. Yeah. When you say it's exaggerated and you're like god tier... He's telling a story. You're playing through the story. Yes. But you are really powerful. You are. He's like big enough. You friend. you make your character mm -hmm. and you choose your class, which for two, I always go rogue. And you start the game and you're playing through, you know, the prologue where you're trying to get to the city where the game takes place. 
and your character has every skill that you could ever get for that class. Okay. And like really good gear and you fight, I think you fight a dragon in this and it's a chance, it, it works because they're using this framing narrative to help you learn the, the mechanics. It's like a tutorial. Right. But, and I, it's really cool to think, oh, someone telling the story and them changing the story could change my ability to play the game. Right. That's a really cool concept because then Cassandra interrupts him and is like, no, start again. And he starts again, and now you're, like, level, level one. one. Okay. Yes. So that's pretty clever. Yeah. Now, the thing I hate about Dragon Age 2 is that you are the hero of Ferelden. You don't really... I don't think you really get a lot of choices that change things in the world, which is kind of what I like about Dragon Age. But how do you think... How do you think it is successful or not successful with regards to its frame narrative? I like the frame narrative. It, Varric is a very likable character. He comes back in Inquisition. So does Cassandra. So these two people involved in the frame narrative, I like significantly better than any of the characters you you really, which you do interact with Varric. Do, do you think that helps, the frame yeah. narrative? Yeah. Why? Because they're comment, like, is it because you're hearing their opinions on what's happening? Yes. And because it's a likable and fun thing to try to do, I think. Okay. Like it's, it's engaging and you like Varric for trying to play you up and talk you up and seeing how that unfolds mechanically. Now, what I don't like is the rails on main narrative, like the nested narrative. And then they're like, now choose your flavor of hero. And I'm like, oh, this is not why flavor, I picked like up. You're like nice or mean hero? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, but that's, that's a topic now, for another day. Does the frame narrative element interact with the fact that you might be like as nice as history says or meaner than history says? Do they ever kind of reflect on that? No, not really. I mean, it's, it's Cassandra is trying to get to the bottom of who the hero is and where they are now because mm -hmm. she needs help with something. So there's this idea that, okay, maybe you are not quite as sarcastic as Varric is saying. Maybe he's playing you up. But I think that in this case, that undermines what a game like Dragon Age is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Like if you are... So I like the framing narrative being used for this tutorial and to, you know, change what mechanics you may have. That's cool. Right. What I don't like is combining a framing narrative with a game that traditionally the purpose is for you to create your own character because it says that whatever you do, it limits some of the authenticity of it because it's all being told by this other character in a way which you've already seen change the game. Right. So it's impossible to ignore the lack of authenticity of that playthrough because the game opens by saying anything could be made up. Like you could play uh, oh, through something okay. and it might just be a thing he made up. And in the next game, this character that you think is so cool might not even be that so cool to begin with. It's almost, a, <laughs> it's almost like a, a solution to like series continuity too, where they can say like, we can remove some of these events if we need yes. to later. Yes, that's true. They can be like, that's not even canon because Varric made that part up. That's cool. a thing in uh, Elder Scrolls. Like between the games, like gods will change reality sometimes. Whoa. And that's their like... Like the reasoning for like why the canon changes. Huh, I know that the the frame narrative like this explains away uh, Prince of Persia's uh, deaths. Yes. And I know that Lindsay's favorite game is probably Prince of Persia. I know. I feel bad putting these games back to back. So that's it's like listen to Lindsay rant about Dragon like, Age but Two. And a, <laughs> without getting too far into the plot, like on a high level, Prince of Persia. Yeah. Yeah. Like how and Prince of Persia Sands of Time is the one. Uses it to do. So the frame narrative is the prince is telling the story. 
it kind of zooms in on this room and it's like, or zooms out from the, the opening screen and he's invading this city and he has to get the sands of time, whatever. So you do have a, a reason in game. Like the main mechanic is, oh, you missed this platforming thing. You hit your rewind button and you can try again because he has this magical sands of time thing. But if something happens where you die, like you completely miss it or you die in combat, sometimes the prince will come in with the narrative and say, oh, no, 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 let me start again. That's not how it happened. And you see eventually within the context of the game, the reason why he is telling the story. So there's really good payoff for it. Yeah. And he's, he tells it so charmingly. Is, is, is it a surprise who he's telling the story to? Yeah. So you think he's telling it to you? Yes. Okay, but he's not. And so, I mean, I just love the idea of him telling the story. And he's like, wait a second. No, I didn't take seven steps that way. And, and get then hit. I jumped onto a pit of spikes. <laughs> and it's wait, like, wait, no, no, I no, didn't. That's not what happened at all. I'm sorry. Hold on. Let, let me rewind a second. It's like, well, I, I imagine he like has no idea how to tell a story. And he's like, and then I went left. And then I went right. right. And then I went, I went left. left. <laughs> and she's like, this is not what I'm asking. Well, that's the thing. I think that you know he's not literally saying, oh, no, no, that's not how it happened. So I think it adds, giving him this narrative voice and this framing narrative makes him likable. Oh because a lot of the game, yeah. he's alone and just platforming. You don't see him bounce off of other characters a lot. Yeah. But because he is the voice of the narrator, he's saying these things and it makes him more likable. He's I, charming. I feel like you bringing this up kind of makes me look differently at why you think like the frame existence of a frame narrative gives you a different idea of like what is canon to the story like yes. what is the intent because your introduction to this in video games was someone literally telling you no 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 I fucked up <laughs> I, like that's not what happened yes so when you don't do that it's very clearly some kind of aberration to like the intent of the story yes. or what it's telling you. Like it's incoherent yes. what the story is telling you. Okay. And then obviously there's a practical reason for this too, right? Because then you have a frame narrative, but how do you explain a game over? Right. So he does like, he does that. The frame narrative helps to account for the game overs too. So it's, it's really cool. I think it's a fun use of frame narrative. There is, I'm not going to spoil it, but when you, see how that framing narrative is a separate narrative mm -hmm. because again we said that just having a narrator is not a frame narrative and the game isn't just narrated by him you know that the version of him telling the story has his own story mm -hmm. that makes any sense and i think that as you dig into that later in the game that payoff is really great too um do you b feel that him telling the story makes it seem like the events are exaggerated, like in Dragon Age 2? Like at the beginning yeah. of Dragon Age 2? Yeah. Okay. But I think it's likable in this one. <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, I'm trying not to turn this into reviews. I know. Right? Not <laughs> judgment on Dragon this Age 2. This just in. Lindsay did not enjoy Dragon Age 2. <laughs> I mean, I played it. It's it's dra Dragon Age 2 is a good game in isolation. Like, it's, okay. it's fine. It's like Dark Souls 2. It's it just would be one. good if Dark Souls 1 didn't exist already. So speaking of Dark Souls, I think that framing narratives can also be used oh, yeah. to help uncover previous narratives. You're right, you're right. Or you're secondary right. stories. A lot, one of the most interesting things about Dark Souls, and I would say also Gone Home. Mm -hmm. I would essentially Probably lots of other games. The yeah. same. Um, but those are the ones that come to mind the strongest for me is that there are two like major narratives happening. One is the current narrative where you play, control a character, you make decisions. And the other is a story that you're kind of uncovering, which is common in games. Like an but, archaeologist almost. Exactly. But what is unique about Dark Souls and about uh, Gone Home 
And what I think makes it different from environmental storytelling and something like Resident Evil is that a major element of those games, especially I would say more so Dark Souls than Gone Home, is there isn't a right answer. So Dark Mm -hmm. Souls never ever tells you what will happen if you choose to link the flame or not link the flame. And it's really direly important that you figure out what will happen because that's a major decision that will affect the entire world. Mm -hmm. And all you have to go off of to inform your decision is the stuff that you find and like the lore that you uncover. So this sounds like, to me, it's almost like a reversal of the previous narr- frame narratives you yeah, were talking about. Yeah, I was Whereas gonna... like the gameplay itself is this, is kind of like framing the underlying story rather than the story framing. Yes, the, right. Like I, they, they will know. not tell you like what is the authoritative voice. You have to figure that out. And that's why I think it's such a step forward for video games, which is that is a frame narrative that only really works with high interactivity. Yes. Because it asks you to I, misinterpret it or have your own opinions of it. I think it flips. It's silly to think, but like the size of the frame, right? Yeah. Most of the time when you think about a frame narrative, there's a thin plot that happens along the edges and it's framing the main picture. Right. Whereas these are like a thick, like the picture is the frame, right? Like it's exactly. a thick, big frame with a teeny little picture in the middle. Like you're, you're spending most of your time in the frame. I feel like you're yes. in a jail cell and you can look out a small little crack of a window right. and see <laughs> like a vista and be like, ah, well, I imagine what that vista is but, like. But everything you do uh, in that uh, jail cell is direly important right. <laughs> to what happens to that vista. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, we could probably work on that uh, analogy at some point. <laughs> I like that yeah. frame narrative is literally already named for an analogy, and Sterling's like, it's but like what if it was a prison cell? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's like, like a, a tiny window into something, <laughs> like a frame. I'm just saying it's like flipping it, because normally it's like, here's a bigger I know picture, exactly what but here mean. is a smaller picture that yeah. has more story than the actual frame itself. You're right. Like the Most of your experience in Dark Souls is in the dramatic present, which is in within this frame, And really, it seems to us like the world outside of the frame is much larger because it's all of history. Right. But in terms of the text that, like, not text, I shouldn't say, because it actually is a lot of the text. But in terms of how much information you have to go off of, all of the information that you see around your character in Dark Souls is 100% real. Right. As far as you're concerned. Everything that is written down, you have no idea. Right? And there's only so much of that. So it's like... It's in reality, it's a thin layer around your lived experience in the game. But from your perspective, like once you start filling in those gaps, it's such a bigger, wider story Mm -hmm. that you are desperately trying to interpret, but you have limited power to do that. And Mm -hmm. it's actually looking at the frame itself also gives you, lets you fill in the gaps as well. Yes. They work to, the the narratives definitely work together. It's a frame that pairs well with the painting. (laughs) I agree. And I mean, I think that's true of Gone Home, but I I would say in Gone Home, there's a stronger authorial voice and how you should interpret those events, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's like, to me, that's one of the greatest things a game can do, which is use interactivity to have you, to put it a little weirdly, hold a frame, examine a frame. Yes. Like interact with the contours of this thing that you're about to jump. You're feeding like solving yourself puzzles in Resident instead of Evil. being spoon Yeah. And that's kind of what Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner does. It's just there is more design space to work with right. in a video game. It is, it is trusting the consumer or the viewer to get something new out of combining those two narratives. It's saying, I've nested these things within one another, and in isolation, they do things, but when you consume them simultaneously or you choose how you're like pairing them, 
it brings together maybe new revelations about both stories. Yeah. Right. And I think that Dark Souls as a framing narrative is just a really interesting and like unique way to actually just view history in the real world itself. Cause like, you know, we live in the dramatic present, yeah. but we also like have, we, no, no one has an objective knowledge of history. We right. just have news articles and, and books and stuff we read and we and, synthesize history. And so you could be like, Oh, well my opinion off of this historical event is this, which means that I think that this is what should happen going forward. And, that's kind of like what Dark Souls is doing, except the very end of it is making the large, like, yeah. geopolitical Boy, decision. That's a very <laughs> cynical, but probably true. I mean, that is a that is real, right? Like, anyone who makes a major decision in our real world has to do it based on their synthesis of yeah, what they think history his- means. Historical precedent. Yeah. For sure. But I want another thing that I think we should talk about with uh, frame narratives, especially like a partial frame, is... How do you think it can change player behavior? Because I'm think I, I remember when I played Persona Five. Nice. This is where I wanted narrative. to go to. Good. Yeah, like Persona Five. The premise is that you are a you are some kind of master criminal. Okay. You get captured very early in the game. You're being interrogated by the police, and they're like, "Okay, start from the beginning. Tell me your story." But you don't quite remember everything because you were drugged and beaten by the police. And if you want yeah, more information so on Persona to. 5, go check out our episode <laughs> right. in season right. one. Well, it's interesting because it does tie in. This ties in a lot of things we've touched on so far, which is, you know, the frame narrative, obviously. Yeah. An unreliable narrator. Yeah. And the idea of in medias res, because it also uses that you're yes. in trouble. How did you get to be in trouble? But what's unique about Persona 5 to something like Final Fantasy Tactics or Final Fantasy X, right, is that they they tell you something that will change how you read the narrative yes. in terms in in a way that will not just change how you view the character but what decisions you might make right so the person interrogating you says yeah it was one of your own betrayed you and that's why you're here right now like that's like the premise of the flashback yeah you trying to like tell her the story so she can figure out well first of all why did they betray you and also does this match up with what they told me mm-hmm. so now you are pl- like Persona 5 of course is the third persona game to do this thing where um, you live your life out day by day. You make relationships with people. A major portion of the game is deciding who do you want to forge a deep bond with and who do you want to spend a lot of time with um, and who, who are you going to take in a battle with you, right? It's like, <laughs> I just like it because it's like, tell me everything that happened. And you're like, well, I went to the batting cages today and then I went <laughs> yeah. to coffee. And I believe, I and- think that is part of the authorial voice too, is that I think you are actually telling her as much as you can about your day because things that don't seem like they should be important to your story in like a interrogation or sometimes uh, even a deposition ends up being direly important. Oh, yeah. And sure. the person talking doesn't always know what's important. Yeah. Right. Plus he's yeah. been drugged and maybe he's just saying what he can yeah, remember. He's just saying like, everything. I don't She's know, I just remember like, this. I'm just recording mm. all of this. Like, yeah. uh, August 14th, uh, I played <laughs> video games in the morning and, and I went to play good. video games <laughs> in the afternoon. And then my cat told me it was time to go to bed around, I don't know, five. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, go back to the part about the talk. And then I went to the batting cages. <laughs> uh, and then I had sex with my teacher. And anyway, the next day I ate some curry. And, wait, hold on. Then I, Crimes have been committed besides the one that I'm talking about. What did you say? I had sex with my doctor? What? No. <laughs> wait, you said teacher last time. Ooh. Yeah, wait. No, that was Tuesday. That was Tuesday. I, I did that on Wednesday. Um, But here's, here, here's how it affected me. Because, you know, you go back. You know someone's going to betray you. 
And this is also what I think is a missed opportunity with Persona 5. Um, I went through the whole game trying to figure out who would betray me. Yeah. And, and what I loved in theory was that you can look at, let's say, 10 people and say, one of them is going to betray me, but I love all of them. And I'm going to keep building this relationship with them, even though I know the game will turn it around on me. Kind of a last supper-y kind of situation. Yeah, yes. I there was that. definitely the potential for you to know you were maybe wasting yes. out, like, limited resources. I Without also, going into spoilers, I think the game drops the ball on that entirely. I don't yeah. think it gets anything out Any of it. Any payoff for I that. Mean, it, but in theory, it could have. Don't think this is a spoiler, but it makes it very obvious who's yes, going to betray It's very you. obvious. And it's in a way that is clearly tailored to be as inconvenient to the player as possible. But I really thought, because, you know, there's been two other games like Persona 5 so far. They both try to make it so that the social links are like only ever a source of power for you. Yeah. This could have been the place where you subvert that Without and you say head, yeah. like you're the deeper your bond with this person, the harder they're going to stab you in the back yeah. later. Your confident rats you out. Did yeah, you? I think it could make, the, I think it would be really cool that like one of two things, like the person's going, you could build up the bond, which makes them a tougher like enemy later on. Yeah. Or be great. it could be your least popular person in your group and it could have like seven yeah. different outcomes. Oh my God. If it were procedural. Yeah. And like cool. it was just your, it was a direct consequence of your actions that caused you to have that rat. I think that, that would, would be, be amazing. Cool. That would be so cool. And very superhero super yeah. And it would play into the frame narrative at the beginning because it's like this person, there's somebody that's going to betray you. You know this going in. Yeah. How did this happen? Or, yeah, because you're like, I imagine even the player being like, yeah, and then Mitsuru asked me to go out with her, and I was like, no. And the cop and nods, the next like, day, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and then the next day, she asked me to go to the library, and I was like, no. <laughs> and then you're like, wait a minute. Oh, no. <laughs> I I also think the thing that Persona 5 does get out of that frame narrative is... It changes my expectations. Like things are going really well in the game, but the whole time I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm going to get arrested soon. Like, mm -hmm. and you kind of know what the level looks like that you get arrested at. So there's that anticipation. It creates that tension and you're introduced to a character who is interrogating you. So when you see her within the like yeah. narrative, you're like, oh, snap. You know what? But yeah. and She's like, going to get me. Even though it, you're right, because even though it drops the ball in that sense of like seeing how your actions have consequences, it does create the dramatic irony where you know that y like whenever your your characters are on a high point and you're like, oh, man, we're doing great. We're going to change the world. You know, it's all going to fall apart on you at some point. Yes. And I think that's that changes how you read a story. It, oh, it tracks sure. with, you know, existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true all right <laughs> um, the life simulator you know is also a very interesting example of that hmm. and i don't existential I would not dread this yes okay i would not call this a frame narrative but it's relevant to what you're doing right now okay dread <laughs> um, not a podcast Yikes. uh chrono trigger oh I, yes i'm playing chrono, chrono trigger. trigger um in very vague terms the whole the whole premise is that you can see the future like, or you can go to the future and see it. Yeah, and it's not good. It's not good. You can go further into the future and you can see what the end of time looks like. Also not good. Which is very somber, very final, not really anything good or bad happening there. And you know that it's, essentially there is no existence at the very end of time. So you have to ask yourself, am I fighting for an objectively good outcome to time? Because mm -hmm. there is none. Instead, it's asking you to recontextualize what you're doing when your mom wakes you up or when you go and 
drink, uh, do a beer drinking contest or whatever that you're like, I'm fighting for these moments to still exist. Yeah. Yeah. It's those moments that make everything worthwhile because at the end, end of time is going to be the same no matter what. So it's how you fill your time that makes it valuable and important and special. Exactly. And again, I wouldn't, again, I would say it's not Not a frame frame narrative. narrative, but I think a frame narrative can do a similar thing where like in Persona 5. It can tell you something about your goals and inevitability. Inevitability, right. Like I know someone's going to betray me. I still want to be their friend. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's why I love Final Fantasy X. I'm, I'm sorry. Spoilers? I know I'm going to make it to the end of the pilgrimage, but I'm still going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're going to bully Star like a little bit. So I think one of the things that we had listed to maybe touch on to oh. get a little like weeby here for a moment, Isekai Games? Yeah. What is an isekai for those of us that don't know? Sterling's going to sit there and act like he doesn't. Sterling, why don't you tell us? All right. Well, an isekai <laughs> is, uh, my understanding is it's a genre where somebody is essentially pulled into an alternate world. Generally, it's a video game. Um, that's been the big trend recently. Yeah. But it could be... A book. A book. It could be anything. It's just, just like where, an alternate universe. It's like, like Alice in Wonderland yeah. is, yeah. I would say, the quintessential... Or the like, maybe the, the, the original precursor to the yeah. isekai. Yeah, I think maybe the anime that people might be familiar with is um oh gosh, what's Got the one hat. with the oh yeah, Got hack sign. I was thinking the one Sword with Art the, Online, uh, the white haired uh, demon fox guy, Inuyasha. Inuyasha. Oh yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's an isekai. Well, because isekai started. Mo- not this is going to be me sharing my limited understanding of something kind of off topic, but when it really grew, it was mostly a girl in Japan transported to that is a very some common thing. fantasy pseudo-historical setting. That's Inuyasha. I think that's a couple magical girl animes yeah, too. Yeah, there's like the 12 Cs or something like that. I've read English um, translations of it's like a book. Okay. That's like a popular shoujo manga from okay. the 90s about girls who ended up in a video game, like a literal RPG. Yes. That time and I got one, reincarnated as a slime. That is the current one. Yeah, not a, not a girl, not I an anything. Dot .hack is the precursor to the modern isekai, which is very yes. like MMORPG oriented. Well, the big one is Sword Art Online. Yes. I would say okay. that's like the real big spark. Oh, yes, for the modern. I mean, and a couple of those, aren't. isn't the story just, I put on a virtual reality helmet, but now if I take it off, I die, so I'm stuck here. Like, yes. I think in, a, in a .hack, that's he literally hack. just cannot take it off. Like right. he does the motion to take it off but it, in dot hack it's just the main kid it's, it's just, just the him kid. and then someone watched that and was like what is that but everyone <laughs> I, I love that about i don't i'm not really a big fan of dot hack but i love that about it mm-hmm. because his world that he's trapped in um it's not that it's like a fake world that has become real it's a fake world that has just become everything for him yeah whereas for everybody else it's just like a part of their day-to-day life. So what video games are there then that adapt that? That aren't oh. other than oh, a literal other than a literal stat hack the video game. We'll um, stay away from those. Uh, I would say Ultima, one of the very first RPGs. Pretend to I don't online. know what Ultima is. So don't, you don't have to pretend for me. Remember, we, we always <laughs> talk about how like in the 70s there were like the computer RPGs on like the mainframes. Yes. One of the first ones to make it to like the home computer was Ultima. Okay, and what was its premise? Um, the premise is that you open up. I don't I think this is also true in Ultima One. It's definitely true in Ultima Four. There is a book about the world of Ultima. I think it's called Britannica. I think like the Encyclopedia Britannica, something like that. It's it's like fantasy Europe, fantasy England. Right? Okay, okay. And you are a person reading it, like you're in Wizard. Is it Wizard of Oz or? 
Which one is the girl reading the book and then she gets taken away to the other world? Is that? It's not Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz that must be Alice in Wonderland. She definitely is reading a book at the beginning. and she, she Alice is reading a book, but then like that's separate. She doesn't go into the She doesn't book. go into the book. No. In Ultima, I believe you go into the book. Okay. You're reading. Okay. And so funny enough, Ultima, like Dungeons and Dragons, is like a isekai story. Um like the one of the oldest examples of a video game we can think of that's like an RPG itself is like reflecting this modern trend of going into a video game world. Okay. So you go into Ultima and you become the quote avatar, which is also an interesting thing because an avatar literally is like an incarnation of a higher being into a faker world, a mm-hmm. less real world. And you are the avatar representing your real self inside of this book. Right. Hmm. And then that I would say is a very, very loose frame narrative that only exists to give you a premise. I okay. Think. I wouldn't say that it really changes how you read it other than it, it kind of explains the way what's happening. Explains like the fantasy. I elements. think, I don't know if this is a, technically an isekai, but explaining away what's happening is the frame narrative for Assassin's Creed. I can't believe I hadn't no, thought about that. For sure. A frame narrative. Like, but that's, that's kind of a whole premise of the series. Yes, right? yes. I mean, I don't know if it's an isekai, but it is a frame narrative for well, sure. I mean, it's in a way. It's close enough. It's yeah. Close hey, enough. get pulled into your ancestors' memories that are embedded yes. in your DNA, and yes. here is a tool that will let you access them. And I think <laughs> the way that frame narrative changes between one and two and then changes back is so yeah. interesting in that franchise. What do you? What would you say is the big difference? Like, do would you say that it, it, it's related to it being a frame narrative that's what changes? Yes. Because in two, there's like whole sections where you're playing outside of yes. The- in one, it doesn't. It barely exists. Okay. The frame narrative in one, you just kind of walk around, and there's a sense of like dread and uncertainty. Because I'm like, why am I locked here? And then they're like, okay, time time to go be your ancestor. Oh, so you're walking around in like a cell or something? Like in like medical robes, I thought. Or yeah, I, I don't remember. It's, it's been like so a long. glorified cell. It, it almost feels like an expanded version of the setup in Portal. I was just about to okay. say that. Yeah, like yeah. the Portal opening rooms. But in two, like what's happening outside of it does interact with the yes. story. You get a name. Like who you are outside of the past has a name. You're like Damien or something. Damon? I don't I th- know. I think you might be Michael <laughs> Fassbender. Okay, great. And <laughs> and then there's suddenly this plot, which the first game touches on. Suddenly plot. <laughs> but there's suddenly this link between why you're going into the past. Oh, it's because you got to find these relics and you know where they are in the past and you're playing these parallel things. And oh my gosh, it turns out oh. aliens are gods and they came and there's so, this bizarre so the, the, the thing. Excuse me, what? Yeah, <laughs> That's in there. knowledge from your frame self to use in your, in the real world. Yes. And there are like these, in, like these historical factions still exist in modern times and you have to play aside and i always thought that they were trying to make me become a real life assassin in like the current day no they're trying to get information to find these relics question does the fact that you figure out what your mission is which is i need to get in good with these people in this like i think it's like a hypothetical construct of like what would happen it's like a what if machine for if you were in his shoes yes like from futurama sure but oh yeah is, is the idea that, like, you are now going and trying to remember details of conversations with people about what they tell you? Or are yeah. you trying to change what your that past self does? No, you're just trying to get information. So the okay. I, Because literally, 
if you die or if you try to go somewhere you're not allowed to go, it's been so long since I played through all of them. The the machine that is simulating it is like, your ancestor does not have a memory of that. So it like kind of is like recalibrating. It says that you're out of sync. Like if you try to kill a pedestrian, it says you're out of sync. This is not what really happened. So your goal is to stay as true as possible to what happened in order to see... Oh, at some point, we know this historical figure came in contact with the golden apple. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to see that memories to help us know what it does and how we can get it today. And I have to say, I must be one of the only people, but I loved the campiness and the way the two plots work together. Okay. Like, obviously, not everyone felt the way I did because they completely dropped that. Yeah, they moved away from that. Yes. But do do you do you think they lost something in obviously they yes. lost the modern day portions like literally speaking but do you think that the 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 time that you spend in the past is qualitatively different in the newer ones where you don't have that I, and why I think so now part of this is I've also liked each of the games less like mm-hmm. I played the Revolutionary War one and I thought it was so stupid because I was just like the Forrest Gump of the Revolutionary War it's but like, that would make sense if you were trying to be Forrest Gump because you needed to know what every yes. person was doing and you yes. need to be there. But that right? game, I think, moved away from that. Did you play it at all? I played the first one and I never played any of the rest. So that's a... So there's really no... Like, you're just like there and you're just... I, I didn't like it. I Well, and I was also a stickler about... I'm like, why are all these historical figures just hanging out here at the same time? Like... So besides that, what right? this they let this guy into the Continental Congress? What is happening? But besides, like the quality of the story, you're yes. saying that like the campiness of like man, all these historical figures are here, and I'm interacting with all of them. Yes, makes sense because it's justified by that premise. But without that premise, it was harder for me to accept. And so you don't take it seriously. I didn't know it was really fun to think that there was some bizarre, high stakes mystery I had to unravel that had to do with why humans exist Mm -hmm. like that was a really fun motivator and when they took that away i was like well like by the time i reached black flag which again people loved i was like this isn't even an assassin's creed game anymore i'm just a pirate yo ho yo ho so you're saying you're you're feeling i I just heard you yo hoing into the theme of evangelion for some reason what anyway um Uh, so you're saying that as they moved away from that framing device, the stories got less believable, which made it harder for you to feel like they, to take them seriously, to feel attached to them. Yeah. I, I just like without those extra stakes and, and then I didn't think the protagonists were as likable. Like there are a lot of reasons, but, but in terms of frame narrative, yes, it fundamentally changed what those games were for me when it took away the frame narrative. And I was like, I don't know how I can continue living in this secondary narrative when I associate it so closely with the framing narrative. That's true. It would be like if they made The Princess Bride 2, but no one was reading a book. (laughs) And then you're like, well, a lot of this makes less sense now. I don't know. I I like I like the part with Wesley and. Everybody. The part with Wesley. I don't. <laughs> okay. No, I, Sterling likes the movie, I guess. I like the movie. I mean, you could have it with the kid. You could have it without. I'd, I'd watch it. Hmm. Okay. I uh, I do want to point out one more thing that okay. I think is, uh, it's not really unique to video games, but it's something that a couple have done kind of in an interesting way. Okay. And um, the first one is a game called Moon Remix RPG. Never, never heard, heard of it. it. So Moon Remix RPG is an obscure PlayStation game from the 90s. Okay. okay. And it is a game where you start off 
a kid sitting in front of a television. So you see a television and you're playing like a knockoff, shittier looking Dragon Quest on this television. And you're like going through like snapshots of a journey and you're like killing monsters. You're doing like a million damage to the monsters. You're so powerful. This is great. This is just a game about me. And and you're just like succeeding like crazy. (laughs) And then you get to like near the end. And for some reason, I can't remember what the explanation is. You get sucked into this game. And now you are a kid in this game and you see your former avatar walking around just murdering like people and monsters. And now you can talk to the monsters because the game was shielding you from that before. The game didn't want you to see the monsters as like oh no. real people. And now the vil- you are the villain or your character is now the villain. And your job is to go and defeat him with love. So you aren't trying to go and fight anything. Is this like what inspired Undertale? Yes. This is one of the oh, stated okay. inspirations. That for makes Undertale. a lot of sense. So the whole idea of this game was supposed to be an RPG that's about fostering love rather than... And the framing fighting. narrative uses, then plays on your personal experiences with RPGs and your expectations exactly. of them and says, okay, yeah, think those things. But now they're opposite. Right. And again, it's weird because I I don't know if I would call an isekai story like that a frame, but it is important that you identify with that avatar for a bit, which is part yes. of the, out, like the outward frame, right? I do think... Really nailing down what is and isn't a frame narrative can be tricky sometimes. And I I like that. I think it's interesting that you could argue different ways on some things Mm -hmm. on that. Like there's definitely distinct, this is a frame narrative and this is not. But there are also things in that area where you're like, well, this is definitely near the line. I don't know how near the line it is. Well, another one near the line I think is um, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Okay. Which is a really interesting game that I don't actually like. Are all of the Final Fantasies like... Frame Some sort of framing narrative? No, not all no, of them. They, the Final Fantasy one definitely has the myth at the beginning. In case anyone was wondering, Crystal Chronicles is not. That's the Final Fantasy game. No, it is. Is it, is it really? Yeah. It is. What do they do at the beginning? Because a woman is telling a story about your characters. Oh my right. god! How you did it year after year after. I mean, it's year a very loose, like a lot of video games. It's a very right. light touch with that. Interesting. But what's interesting about Tactics Advance is that it is not like. Final Fantasy Tactics. Okay. In, in the sense that, like, there's a historian. There's no historian or okay. anything like that. It is another Isekai story where you are a kid and you have a best friend, and the best friend is bullied a lot. Aww. And you guys read this book together called Final Fantasy. And you guys are like, man, I would love to live in this world called Final Fantasy. No one would beat me life. up there. I'd be Roy. Right. <laughs> so then uh, something, some bullshit happens, and you guys end up in the book. Okay. Inside of this world. And your best friend is now like the prince of this world. And Aww. he's living this amazing life. And like his bullies are like being beat up and they're like villains. And and it's a fa- here's the interesting thing. This isekai world, um, most of the characters look like kids. Um, they all form clans where they fight each other, but they cannot die in most of the areas where you fight. They have judges that overwatch exactly. everything. So everything is set up to be this fantasy world essentially without consequences. Right, like there is, like it's like the world a kid wants to imagine where he yes. can fight people, but and no so one then you kill. You're more accepting of that maybe because you know children have gone into this, right? And I can't remember what, but there's some negative consequence of this, and your main character realizes it, and you go on this crusade to end this fantasy world Whoa. and pull this kid who's like 
he's like disabled. He doesn't have like he, he can't use his legs. He's in a wheelchair in the in the real world. Well, it's like the Nino Cooney movie. Well, this and makes he, me think like, of Nino Cooney. So when like, we're done with this, that's where we're yeah. going. And like his dad is an alcoholic in the real world, and now he's like the head judge and very responsible. Oh no! And like like has a very good job, and you're like tearing this world down. And there's a, I think there is a reason for it. I can't. Re- I don't remember if it's just it's not real. That's the reason. Um, but it doesn't sound healthy. That's it, for sure. It uses the frame to kind of give you a sense of what is being escaped from, so you understand like contextually why this fantasy world well, is or isn't like less or more. Dis- and it makes it more complex when your mission is to end it. Exactly, because you know it's like the game is telling you, okay, this is what we gotta do. You gotta end it. Yeah. But when you know, oh, it's real nice for this kid. Yes. Yeah. It's like uh, giving you all the information you need, like in Dark Souls. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to do this now. But I don't think you get the choice in Tactics Advance. In Tactics Advance, you technically don't get like a dialogue choice that says, do you end the dream or not? But, and I wouldn't say like, okay, in Last of Us, you don't have to see the ending because you could just turn the game off. I'm not, ta- I'm not making that kind of argument, but... The nonlinear structure of Tactics Advance, where everything is a job you take, and there are many jobs beyond, like, the end of the game. And, in fact, if you end the game, it just goes back in time, and you can choose not to do that mission and okay. do the others. I think many players probably wouldn't, would just not do that mission. Interesting. Because, like, first of all, there's no reward for it. It's like how I never finished Mass Effect 3 on principle. Yeah. Well, also because, like, this, there's, there is stasis to the world. There's no yes. lingering questions. You can just live in that world forever if you want to. Interesting. And I think and that's... that is my decision. That's my, uh, <laughs> that's my new, like, choice. Because every game yeah. actually has a choice. You can just stop. And, like, regardless of how I feel about the game as a game or as a story and, like, how well told it is, I think that is a genuinely unique thing that Tactics Advance does with its framing narrative, which is a kind of creates some kind of guilt yeah. for the consequences of what you're going to do. That's cool. I think, so Sterling brought it up because first of all, that game sounds exactly like the Nino Cooney movie that was on Netflix, which is uh-huh. quite a ride. Um, I played through Nino Cooney 2 and I, I really would not recommend it, but boy, I put a lot of hours in, so I don't know what that says. And I've never played Nino Cooney 1, but I know the premise of that universe is very Isekai-esque where you always start with some real world thing Although Nino Kuni 2 doesn't, it briefly, so Nino Kuni president. 2 <laughs> starts, because if you haven't played it, you wouldn't believe me. You are the president of the United States. Okay. And you're in your limo. And Are you an adult? Yes. yes. Okay. And a nuke. Yes. A nuke starts hurtling towards you and your limo. In New York or something. Yeah. Somewhere just in real world you America. You told me this. Because I, I just wanted you to hear I on the podcast. Like this is like an insta buy. <laughs> so the nuke hits the president in his car. Okay. And which is you. And, and then fade to black. moments of turning into a shadow etched onto the ground. Right. Yeah. Fade, fade to black. Dark. And then it opens up and you, you the president, now oh. with a ponytail, are in the child's room in a fantasy fairy tale world. No, no you're no, just you're, you're an just adult. an adult, a different so. looking adult now, slightly different looking. So you don't play as that kid I see running around. No, well you yes, can because it's a it's a group. Oh, but oh, the character that starts off that entire game is the president of the United States who has been obliterated by a nuclear bomb and transported to a fantastic other realm where uh-huh. he is still in a suit, has a gun, and you're, and yes, you're he's the king the, now. No, no, <laughs> no. he's just like. 
You're just transported there. He's like, ah, oh, I've seen enough Isekai. But you do become <laughs> some kind of ruler in this. Game. You help the prince because you're teleported into the prince's oh, world. Oh, so you kind of are like a regent almost. Yes. You literally just appear in this room. Uh-huh. He just rolls with it. This president must have been a big anime fan because he's like, this checks out. This is my life now. He has, even though the beginning makes it clear that he is the president and like in the real world and his country has been nuked. He has no urgency to get back. I he never, he never talks about wanting to go back to his world. Yeah. He's you, just like, this I, is it you now. Know, that was a bad dream. Now <laughs> here's reality. It is the weirdest frame of any game. Does it matter? Like, does this like come back somehow? No. No, Chris, it does not come back. Have you beaten the game? I'm on the final boss. But you know, but I quit there because I was so bored. No, I should, I should watch it. But I assume he just stays in the kingdom. But there's some, there's, so audience, we don't know. Maybe it does come back at the ending. We don't know. <laughs> I assume, for I would bet hours, money it does not. Like, okay. like days worth of but hours. It's like not it constantly not. on your mind that this I is got a it, frame inside no, of this. I got it on sale last summer and I spent a lot of my summer playing that game. And I was always waiting for it to come up again that yeah. he is a man from a real world. And it never, literally, he's just like, I can help this king. I have experience leading nations. That's the only reason the frame narrative exists. Oh, my God. Wait, wow. what a se- wait a second. What if, like, our world, for purposes of Nino Kuni, is the Matrix, but the real world is actually a fantasy world? No, because here's the thing. He doesn't, like... I'm not saying for the purpose of he Nino clearly Kuni. I'm never saying, like, existed. Think about that as an idea for a movie. Uh-huh. He never existed in this fantasy world until he appeared. Yeah, it's not like he had a body there or anything. He just appears in a room in a palace that he shouldn't be allowed this to be in. May not even be a frame narrative because it may not be a dream. For all we know, it may not be like a. Story well, I know that <laughs> from what I incident. might have literally I, just teleported. From what I like, do oh, know about Nino Kuni one. Okay. This it's in the real world. A kid's mom passes away, and something, something, something. He goes into this parallel universe, and what he learns there helps him reach a resolution about so you his think mom that passing. Precedent for the series using that. Well, that's what so, one does, from what I know about it. And two like is just like terms with his own death. I don't know. Um, it forgets that that's a plot line. That is very interesting. Now I want I know. to know. Sorry, weird one Weird one to be wrapping it one, up on. One last thing I want to bring up, because this involves one of my favorite series. And here's one more thing. <laughs> one more well, it's thing. Because uh, I always bring this up whenever you talk about Nino Kuni, which okay. is the Suikoden series. You, mm. Which you love. But, uh, you know, there is this thing in some series where you're kind of watching the same thing happen over and over in different contexts, mm-hmm. right? Like in the Legend of Zelda, you could you could argue that like there is a legend and every game is within this frame a story um, that is playing out in a similar way. There's like a meta frame for, for all of those games. I love that. Suikoden has a semi-meta frame, which is that it's based on this ancient Chinese, not ancient Chinese. That's a weird way to say that. It's a it's from like B- AD. I think. One of the classes. It's one of the. Five, four or five classics. I think the classic. Uh, I, I don't know I when the dates on all the classics, it's, it's but they're not, old. It's not right to call them ancient. I'll say that. But they're old. And um, it is a story about these, these spirits from heaven and these demons from hell who are unleashed by the stupid magistrate one day. That's how it happens. And they inhabit these 108 outlaws. And these outlaws become this force of great change and they rebel against uh, the Chinese government, which at the time was famously corrupt, right? 
And, <laughs> is this, and, is this um, the Song Dynasty period? I don't it know. is Song. It is Song. Everybody hates the Song Dynasty. Uh, I think the, the Emperor, not Emperor, whoever the, they were. The Tang Dynasty is like the pinnacle of dynasties. I think whoever, I think the guy they're rebelling about against the is Dynasty? Song Jian or something. Song Jian. I don't remember. Or that might be the main character. Ironically, one of the main characters is also a Song. But I don't know if that it matters. Out. So Suikoden. Suikoden is a is an adaptation of this story. Interesting. But in the world of Suikoden, there is a character who is in every single game. She is like an oracle. She has uh, an ability to like go across time and space and dimensions. And she's there every time to essentially be like you're meeting with the goddess who tells you like what you okay. have to do and gives you a tool to do it, right? She always tells you, you are this person who has to change the world. It's always going to be through some kind of rebellion against a greater force. And you must always find 107 other people <laughs> who will help you accomplish that. Cool. And there are all these patterns that happen. And like each person is associated with a star in like a constellation. So if you've tracked the stars from the novel through the series, they all reference either the name of the star in like their character or like the original character from the Chinese story. So, for example, there's always a star that's like a point of strength, and this person is always going to be someone who will protect you, and they'll be your guardian. There's always a star that represents everyone coming together, which is usually the main character, but not always. Interesting. There's always like a home base. There's always a hierophant so star. So it expects you to know that or anticipate some of that, maybe? I think that if you have never played a Suikoden game before, there's no expectation that you look at this as a frame. Okay. But if you have played it, you there is... You create your own frame. Yeah. Well, also, the store is definitely imposing that frame on you because it's definitely saying like, oh, you found the guy who turns into a wolf in this game or whatever. Interesting. Or you found the detective in this game or so that's on. That's cool. You know? And that's like, that's not a frame narrative that can really exist in a single artistic work, but it can exist in the collective consciousness on purpose because of right. something that the work did. That's awesome. Any Any final thoughts on... Frame narratives in video games? Uh, I think that video games offer us an interesting way to flip a frame narrative on their head, kind of like what we saw with Dark Souls and a couple other ones. Yeah. But also because they're interactive, they let you experience the frame narrative in a different way and just incorporate it in different ways that we wouldn't be able to. And they, Yeah. They, they kind of make the frame a physical thing almost that you can touch and play with. I definitely yes. think it takes... I love it when a video game takes something that we talk about a lot in literature or in general storytelling. And it's like, yeah, this is a major part of my video game now. And it works seamlessly with what a video game is, which yeah. I think is really cool. And listeners, if you have some other, you know, big narrative device that you love seeing in movies and books and whatnot, and you want us uh, to tackle that in video game form. We will find them. Yeah. Or give us <laughs> examples. You got to let us know, though. Tell us your favorite uh, frame narrative in video games. Uh, you can tell us your favorite frame narrative in a movie. Like, uh, I'm movie, not picky. Books, whatever. Sterling, I, yours should be Grand Budapest Hotel. I love Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, my God. That is a frame narrative. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a girl reading a book, which is being written by a guy who's telling a story about His a story friend. he heard. <laughs> and you're Wait, like, a story he heard? It's I not don't the, remember. It's not the... 
the brown kid who's so, like helping the, the author, main character. So the, I am brown guy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not as weird as it sounds. Movie opens. Girls reading a book written by a guy who visited the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is now currently owned at that time. Oh, by, by the Zero Bell Mustafa. Hop. Yeah, yeah. And he's gotcha. and Zero is telling the author his story and then that story you know, is like happening within there so it's like that is very perfect for a Wes Anderson yes. movie because it, it explains a lot of the weird stylistic yes like in world things that happen storybook feelings yeah. just like how Wes Anderson directs and frames all of his shots generally yeah I, I get it yeah, like yeah very like with a lot of I, I don't think it's an insult to say it's with a lot of artifice which a frame yes. narrative can explain very yes. well I would like us all to take a moment and think about what a video game by Wes Anderson might be like is it just um, Yoshi's Woolly World? Actually, it might look a little bit like Yoshi's Woolly World yeah. plus the 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 depth of field effects from Octopath Traveler. Yes. All right. And there would also be Bill Murray, Edward Norton, <laughs> Adrian Brody, um, Elvis there be, Winton. There, there would just be all these cameos by all your favorite people like in Death Stranding or all love of Kojima's friends. I oh my gosh. love it. I would watch that. I would play that. I if, know. Like, Death well, Stranding boy, are were... you in for a treat. <laughs> stick around for next season. Oh. No, no, but I'm not actually playing Death Stranding. I'm saying if, like Death Stranding were... By Wes Anderson. Anderson. Oh. What Sterling is that. saying is you can put Wes Anderson on anything and he'll no, be that's there. that's not true. I mean, I, I'll watch it at least once, but <laughs> I might not always enjoy it. But I do enjoy a lot of them. Well, I think this has been a pretty good uh, look into frame narratives. We put our own little frame around frame narratives in video games. The conversation the video game world needed desperately yes. right now. Specifically from us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, hopefully you made it to work by now. <laughs> That's okay, Bay, I know. But remember to send us uh, your theories on Instagram at playervsplots. Or Gmail, playervsplot at gmail.com. Or hit us up at, on Twitter. Same thing, playervsplot. That's right. We're everywhere. Well, I mean, we're three of the everywheres, which is all the everywhere we need to be, I think. More than we need to be, maybe. Some would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again for joining us on this episode for, of Frame Narratives. And we'll catch you next time. If-